Okay, welcome to the Intern Whisperer, the show all about the future of work. Beauty products have been used for thousands of years, whether it be for skincare or makeup to enhance appearance. Let's see how many people know when beauty and skincare products first were invented. I imagine that um, skincare and beauty products have been around since early in uh, human history. I can't guess an exact date, but I think beauty and skincare products have probably been around for hundreds or maybe even thousands of years. So the earliest I think that skincare slash makeup products came to be in our world is the ancient Egyptian time. I don't really think that's the earliest, but that's something that we have seen probably being the earliest. When do you think beauty and skincare products first were invented? Hmm, Robin, I don't know. How old is the earth? When did God first create it? I think that's when, and I think people were slapping mud on their face. Right. I mean, it wasn't too shortly after that, as it all started with um, the Egyptians around 4000 BC. Um, they used uh, coal for uh, dramatic eyes, and that's like a black powdery substance, which was made from galena, which was a type of it was like a lead sulfide mineral. Well, that's pretty so. nasty to think about, that people were putting coal on their face, their eyebrows, their eyelashes. Yes. That's kind of scary to think about, right. honestly. But they could only use what they had, so. Yeah, so I bet they were using berries for like lips and then also for their cheeks, probably oh, um, mm -hmm. bugs. Yeah. Because bugs have, you know, minerals and vitamins and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're good for you. I don't know. Anyway, and charcoal, interesting. I know, it's like how much worse was it than the things that they have today? Um, and then around 3000 BC in ancient China, uh, painting fingernails began as a way to establish social class. So for example, the royals would wear gold or silver while the lower class um, were forbidden to wear any type of white nail colors because they, you know, they wanted to separate the classes of people. Kind of um, sounds like working at Disney. Way back, I now I don't mean this as a slam against Disney, mm -hmm. but Disney had always maintained that only people, uh, the, the if you're wearing nail polish, it had to be clear or very natural color. Oh, right. You know, mm -hmm. and they didn't want it to be something that was distracting, you know, kind of garish looking. Yeah, I can yeah. see how that compares. So, interesting. Um, in early beauty and cosmetic regimes, um, like you talked about, they relied heavily upon uh, natural ingredients. And like you're saying, um, using things like berries and like bugs, believe it or not, um, as well as you said, the charcoal to create a variety of colors. And many of their beauty products were used like for more than one purpose. So it's like whatever they're using for their lipstick, they could would probably use as their eyeshadow as yeah, well. Yeah, on their cheeks. Yes, Yeah. exactly. Um, geishas in Japan are still famous for their striking makeup. Um, they originally used lipstick made from crushed safflower petals to paint their eyebrows and lips and rice powder to color the face. So all of that white on them was made with rice powder? Yes, that's what I had researched. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they make do with what they have. Um, also, like if we were to look even further back in history in Europe, Alexander the Great 
was said to have worn makeup for both the aesthetic and health reasons. Um, eye makeup was said to uh, you know, protect the delicate skin around the eyes, keep off flies, and shelter the eyes from the sun's glare. So even men, you said Alexander the Great, even yes. men were wearing it back then. That makes mm -hmm. sense to me because when I see, well, I don't know if it's true or not, but, mm -hmm. you know, period films, um, when yeah. they're historic time frames, You see them with it all. Yeah, with yeah. like white, really white, like especially if they were from the Renaissance mm -hmm. time frame, um, really white skins. And their wigs were also powdered. They were made with a powder also. Yes. So interesting. That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, and as Alexander the Great traveled around Asia, um, he was said to have sent plant cuttings home to a friend in Athens, where he was from, so that they could create a garden, especially for beauty products. Wow, a garden for beauty products. Yes. So in my head, when I'm thinking about a garden for beauty products, I'm mm -hmm. thinking of things that might be like pumpkin. Like when I have gone in for some type of a, you know, seeing an esthetician, and they would do pumpkin peels, or maybe they might have um, something else like cucumbers on the eyes, and then, you know, avocado mash, you know, different things like that. And right. that's what I think of a garden. You think yeah. it was the same? Or did your research show that? Um, my thinking is that it's like <laughs> certain, like, plants probably, you know, made better for like, you know, certain eye makeup or... Well, you know, for the women, at least, like I'm thinking like maybe some plants were harder to find than others. So as he mm -hmm. would travel around, he would specifically send those plants home, you know. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But your ideas sound pretty spot on with what okay. I would well, imagine as well. During the war in the 1920s, the beauty industry took a practical turn towards sunscreen as skin protectant for soldiers. And continuing up until today, many beauty products still have sunscreen as a major component. As you said, that was one of your, um, something that you always look for when you're searching for your skin products, Isabella. Mm -hmm. um, and that is important. You know, that's our, unfortunately, our ozone layer is thinning. So <laughs> the sun's a lot harder on us all. So mm -hmm. the fair right complexion. through the car. Oh my gosh. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed is like when I'm driving, even the windows in the car have to have some kind of tinting on them mm -hmm. because I was noticing that if I had the window down, one of my arms would get more tan than the other oh, just sure. by virtue of the window being down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have the same thing. So keep I'll the windows up. getting sunburned in the summer in my car. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. We don't mm -hmm. even pay attention to it. Right. Um, so, and then uh, following that with the movie industry boom, Hollywood began having a huge impact on popular cosmetics in the 1920s. Makeup artists of popular actresses dramatically influenced how the public used makeup. And it was at this time that big names such as Max Factor rose to prominence. Max Factor was someone who was known as the Dean of Hollywood makeup art um, experts rather. He was a pioneer in developing makeup specifically for motion picture actors and was given a special Academy Award in 1928 for his achievements. Um, and a popular quote by Max Factor was, you are not born glamorous, glamour is created, which that's his own opinion. I don't personally believe that. But <laughs> well, I think that the key word is glamorous versus oh. like beauty. 
Maybe okay. that's it because we all have beauty in us, uh -huh. right? And the beauty is what radiates out of us. Yes. But absolutely. glamour, when you think of that, you think of truly, I think, like the Hollywood look. And being all made up and yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. you know, I that would say that would yeah, yeah. I okay. think that's what he was talking about. I understand now. Yes. Um so back then the cosmetic routine um was it just involved a simple powdered face, um, a pinching to bring color to the cheeks, you know, as funny as that sounds. Um, yeah, like this? Yeah. Where people are like, pinching your cheeks? Like, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like how long would that even last for? Like, I don't know, like <laughs> seconds maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Um, and then darkening eyelashes with burnt matches, believe it or not. <gasps> no. It's so uncomfortable, like sounding like- Oh, burnt <laughs> stuff. I mean, but the, yeah. I guess that would be, like maybe what was used in match, it's not cold, but it's similar to that kind of a product, I think. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, probably better than the charcoal, which is even further back in I time. Know. You know, I think of how, oh, that's got to be really bad because that yeah, gets toxic. into your eyes. Yeah, yeah. so mm -hmm. toxic. Yeah. Um, and then colored petals or wet red tissue paper were used to color the lips. So that's sort of like the first time you hear about like a stain or like a dye being used. You know, have like, you ever bought um, tissue paper, colored tissue paper? Yes. Did mm -hmm. you ever notice when it got wet that it would, you know, color on your it fingers? Bleed off. Yes. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's the the cheap stuff. So that definitely makes sense. Yeah. That people saw that as a way to, you know, use it as a beauty product. Yeah. But on the same hand, I bet there's really good tissue paper that doesn't do that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, and then um, designers would follow Hollywood's lead and Coco Chanel popularized a now classic look, which was um, dark eyes, red lipstick, and a suntan. Um, the new accessible approach to makeup hit a stumbling block during the Second World War as cosmetics were in short supply. Um, this didn't stop British women from staying glamorous. However, after all, the government constantly reminded them that beauty is a duty really? so really? yes that's <laughs> what i found in my research okay so. well for the second world war if you knew historically what was going on then uh -huh. most of our at least in america the men are going overseas to go and fight in a war mm -hmm. so the thing that um and women were in the workplace they were actually either making parachutes or okay. you know they were doing all of these things that men would do in that role and so part of how they could boost women's morale and, you know, is through makeup and make them, okay, remember, yeah, you are a woman. And then that's where Rosie the Riveter came in. Okay. I've seen that picture of a woman with, yes. you know, yeah, absolutely. so okay. she had that, but yet she had that look, you know, the uh -huh. red lips and the dark, um, you know, eyes, makeup all on her lashes and lined. Right. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, beetroot was a popular supplement for a lip stain at this time and proved relatively harmless compared to the use of boot polish Gross. as mascara <laughs> what did they use that's horrible i mean i guess they used what they had and they probably just didn't know how toxic it was at the time you know yeah. i would think well like, and boot polish i'm thinking that that mm. probably had wax in it somewhat yeah. so it could go on um, your eyelashes i would think there's something in there to make it a little bit oily right like what they you know shoe shines exactly yeah so but, the consistency ooh. was a lot probably better for you know in terms of mascara like but i think when you would touch it to come off 
Yeah, I'm sure. It oh, and you know what out. else? What? I think would happen is that when that stuff, I wonder if they ever did a study of like, if that caused blindness or vision problems. Oh God, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure like once they started, they realized like how much, you know, how many complications come with this, the danger of it. And it's like, they just keep adapting and changing to mm. better things, you know. But shoe shine, wow, that's yeah, hard that's to believe really too. Something. I did not know that. You're yeah. like a wealth of information. I'm learning so much from you right now. Right, and believe it or not, um, I found the worst foundation was concocted from a blend of margarine and chalk. Well, okay. other than the, maybe the like arsenic. Like white chalk? Takes like yes, the, like white chalk. Like as, the, <laughs> as like face foundation? Yes. To make you like really pale? Still? Yes. Mm -hmm. So being pale was super cool back then. Yes, it was very important for, you know, status and um, where you stood in society or like where people always aspired to seem like you know they wanted to be wealthy and like they didn't have to work outside and so like being pale was very important back then oh my goodness so yeah. the dollar store is looking really good now <laughs> <Because> <laughs> right. we can go there for makeup but my goodness at least we're not using margarine on our face with yeah. chalk in it and, chalk and, and charcoal and shoe shine and like all of those in it yeah oh my goodness this is crazy stuff mm -hmm. And then um, following that, the rise of mainstream feminism in the 1960s and 70s saw many women partaking in an anti-cosmetics movement. Um, they claimed that makeup was a tool and objectification, which saw um, society treat women as sex objects rather than people. And Susan Brown Miller went so far as to call the unmade up face the honorable new look of feminism. So they totally tried to just boycott makeup and that women that is true because yeah. in the 60s and the 70s that's when hippies were super cool that's woodstock everything was about burn the bra don't wear that you know forget makeup mm -hmm. so yeah that is totally in alignment um, with what was going on so yeah yeah a, a look to get away from that mm -hmm. a way to get away from that and then um you know not all women felt that way, like with the feminist ideals. Um, in the 1970s, Avon um, introduced the world to the lady saleswomen. Um, despite certain feminist misgivings, the general consensus was that the popularity of makeup provided opportunities for women as entrepreneurs, inventors, manufacturers, and distributors. So Avon, um, for our viewers or listeners who don't know, Avon is a cosmetic um, line that you know women can sell to their friends or their associates you know right. and use themselves as well so yeah that's interesting because it was actually making empowering women to be um their own own company just yeah. like you said and get out there and they could sell makeup and that's where mary Kay cosmetics came into play also right avon and mary Kay were in a big you know battle for that type of market share mm -hmm. and women were just flocking to it so let's move into the 21st century and hear from some people on the street and what their thoughts are about product ingredients. The ingredients matter a lot to me. I really like natural ingredients and ethically sourced ingredients. I believe that if you put good in, you get good out. I'd say the, the biggest thing I care about is just making sure it's a cruelty-free product, making sure it doesn't have any animal byproduct in it and that's just a personal choice I have 
because I don't feel comfortable using any skincare makeup products even you know like body wash anything um, that has been tested on animals so one of the people that was in my NASDAQ at Milestone Maker program was Aisha Tu Dozy, who is the founder and CEO of Bossy Cosmetics. And we are so fortunate to have her as yes. a guest on our show. So like, let's clue in and listen to this interview that we have here. I was an undergrad at Cornell University. I studied economics. And I picked economics because it kind of felt like the major where you get exposure to everything. I, I don't think I really knew exactly what I wanted to do 20 something years ago. I still don't know exactly what I want to do, but I certainly didn't know then. But I knew that I wanted to know enough to be dangerous, enough to have you know, a little information about a number of different things so that at least my first job out of undergrad, I could begin the journey of sort of getting towards what my passion or my purpose or whatever could look like. So I studied econ, which I loved and, you know, stumbled into a finance career. And so when I graduated from Cornell, I had my first role out of business school, out of undergrad, sorry, was working at Goldman Sachs in New York. Um, and over a number of years have worked in finance uh, since then. And in between now and then, uh, three years after I graduated from Cornell, I went to Harvard Business School where I studied general management um, and then you know, went back into finance. So, and I think just to put in context around you know, my college experience in those days versus now, first of all, I don't know what it's like to be in school now, at least to be a college student, but I know you know, when I was in college, I was really, really insecure. And I wish that somebody told me oh, yeah. to chill out. <laughs> I wish that somebody told me it's gonna be okay. It's kind yes. of like, I, I felt like, you know, I don't come from a background of privilege. I was raised by a single mother. And so, you know, I had scholarships and work study and loans and, you know, all the stuff most people do. And I was petrified of poverty. And so I, that guided a lot of my decisions while I was in college was what's the job that I can take? That will first of all, allow me to pay off these big old loans. <laughs> oh my God, and, yes. And, yeah, and that will take me away from poverty, right? That was kind of right. my thing. It was like not, you know, the language of having passion in those days didn't exist. It was like, how do you pay the bills? Um, and how do you, you know, help your mom? And how do you help her to help your sister? And, and that was what I was thinking about. So it was a very different day where, you know, I see, you know, these really amazing college students who have these lofty ambitions to save the world and do different things and just do these really great things that, you know, I'm like, wow, I wish I didn't have to think about existential um, issues when I was, you know, in college, but, you know, be that as it may, I have no regrets. So yeah, my background is predominantly in finance, um, but I always knew that it was going to be a short-term career. Unfortunately, you know, short term went into medium term, went into long term, and I just kept doing it. And I think, you know, about five years ago, I realized I was really, really unhappy with, with what I was doing as much as I had kind of grown in my career and climbed up the ladder. I just wasn't satisfied. I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. And so, you know, I decided to make a change. And, and part of that change was to find out what my passion was and what I felt my purpose was. And that led me to the business that I run now, which is called Bossy Cosmetics. 
And we, you know, our goal is to reimagine beauty, but focused on ambitious women. And so, you know, we often say that we ignite confidence in, in our customer who is a self-identifying ambitious woman through high quality co cosmetics, topical content, and, and really great services. Mm. So, so that's it. It's my journey of where, you know, what I just talked about and to where I am today and, and wanting to find a way to be a support to other women as they go through that journey as well. I remember when we were in NASDAQ's program uh, a year ago, it's so hard to believe it's a year ago. This whole 2020 felt like 10 years. I don't know about anyone else, but it has just dragged. <laughs> um, but it's really not been that, that bad, I guess, in perspective. Anyway, um, when we were in there, one of the things that I remember you, when you were introducing yourself, you said that you wanted to help women feel uh, powerful and that makeup was part of that because it actually, you know, boosts their confidence. It, it, it's a part of your, your, your look, your professionalism. And it just, you know, it's one of those things I really hadn't thought about. And I don't know if women think about that even now about how it can change how they see themselves. I'm kind of curious if you've seen because of COVID, I don't know if you know this or not, if there's been a spike in cosmetics, because I would think because we're all online, it's going to go one of two ways. Either women are spending more time, you know, making sure that they look good when they're on Zoom, or that they've embraced the fact that, okay, this is me. And here I am in my my less beautiful state or less made up self that you might see in the office. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? And it's yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's more, it's a bit of a mix. It depends on your brand, your brand value, your brand ethos. Um, I think by and large, if you look at the prestige cosmetic space, which is the space that I'm in, um, cosmetic sales have been down. Really? Right. They have been down. But then if you look at certain segments within the beauty sector, that it has been up. And, and so what are the different differences between those? So I'll start on the on the side of what has gone up is when you think about how hard it is to go through this pandemic right now. So mm -hmm. let's I mean you know, you have this so much economic malaise and instability. We've had basically a racial pandemic. We've had a, you know, an economic pandemic. We've had all sorts of pandemics, right? Lots of things going on at once. And people have really embraced the notion of self-care mm -hmm. and, you know, just, just wanting beauty and self-care and wellness in and of itself. So not because it is something to be consumed for somebody to, to gaze or to gawk at you, but because it makes you feel good. And if you remember when, when we first started our conversation, you know, you started off by saying, eh, not feeling so great today, but you put on lipstick and everything is good. Oh yeah. Right? That's so exactly, true. exactly. And that's what a lot of our customers said to me, like, you know, had a really crap day, put on this red lipstick. Cause I know I needed to show up for that zoom call and I needed to get the ball rolling. Right. So I think that for us, I mean, we're such a small business and we're so early stage that actually we have grown this year over last year. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's because of our positioning and our values. Right. People are really changing 
why they're wearing makeup or how much makeup they're wearing, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you when we when we say that we are a brand that's really leading with igniting confidence in women who are dealing with all sorts of different issues right now, that really people feel like they're they're seen. Right. We do a lot of work where we, you know, a portion of our proceeds go to certain nonprofits that do social advocacy for women and girls. People love that. Right. That's a values driven decision because yes. ultimately a really great red lipstick. You know, I believe red lipsticks are all different, but for most people, a red lipstick is a great red lipstick. But hey, if I can pay for a red lipstick with a company that's run by somebody I really admire, the values are, are great, the ingredients are clean, the packaging is great, and I know that you know X percent of this is going to go to somebody who needs it. You know, that's a pretty easy conversation. It starts to feel like this virtuous cycle of, you know, you're indulging in something, but your indulgence is also helping other people. Yes. Yeah. So. It's, it's, you know, I think, and for, for me, I've never wanted to start a beauty company that just plops out beauty products all day, right? That's not very interesting to me. I wanted to really focus on the story and the, and the empowerment of women oh, I around love that. how they look and how they feel and what they do. And the business model is that we sell beauty products, but I really wanted to go deeper. And in fact, that has been you know, the thing that I say is very distinguishing about us to any other cosmetics company is that we are very focused on the woman behind the face. Mm -hmm. So while we sell her products to put on her face, we are really focused on making sure what's behind that face is equally as amazing as what's in front of it. Do you have a certain uh, demographic that gravitates to you in, in age? Um, I'm always interested in that too, because many times I have friends that are in their fifties and they'll say, well, it feels like they've become invisible. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, as women, the focus is always on women in their twenties and their thirties. And it's like, no, I, I don't even, I'm not even seen anymore. And I find that really um, discouraging, honestly, to hear. Yeah. Yeah, I think, it, I think, look, our, my demographic, I always tell people, our demographic defies age, defies race, defies ethnicity, and defies hue. You know, she literally just is ambitious. And what does that mean? She can be an investment banker, she can be a school teacher, she can be, you know, a, a, a home, a childcare provider, she can be a number of things, she just wants to do better for herself and for her life, right? But what we have found is that our customer is is generally a working woman who is between the ages of, I would say, you know, 28 to 48. So a pretty broad range. But, you know, when we did our NASDAQ program last summer, I, or, or end of last year, I interviewed a bunch of customers that I had never met. And I did it Zoom calls just like this. And every time the camera came on, I was shocked by what I saw. You know, I was shocked by, you know, if I saw a woman's name, Maria in Wisconsin, I'm like, how did Maria in Wisconsin find out about me or find out about mm-hmm. this brand? And then her face would come up and she's a 58 year old coach who was an accountant for many years. And she mm-hmm. saw us on a Facebook ad or something and she decided to try it out and she loves the product. So, you know, I, 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 I don't wanna put ourselves in a bucket of who we speak to. I, I, our bucket is that you know, if you are ambitious, if you want to do better than you were yesterday, if you are competing with the person you were yesterday and not with anybody else, 
you are my customer. What I love about that is what I'm hearing is it's about diversity. Oh yeah. Inclusion, which we know those are the words for this year besides COVID. Diversity and inclusion, because there are spans generations, it spans, you know, let's also point out sexual orientation. For, you know, there are men that also want to be able to use beauty products. I know that you're yeah. women. However, there are men that will also say, I want to be able to use this. Usually it's the skincare side of it. Yeah. That is uh, really important also is that we remember that it's it's really about what makes a person whole mm -hmm. and I think attractive. Absolutely. Uh, to themselves more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes people will say things to me, and this is a red flag, like, you know, either a prospective investor or a so, so quote unquote advisor, a mentor, you know, will try to steer our marketing or pitch efforts to, you know, women wearing makeup for men. And for me, that's a major red flag because, um, I mean, I'm married and I love that my husband finds me desirable, um, but I don't want that to be the reason why any woman makes a decision. Like I want her to make the decision because she wants to. So if right. she says, I want to be hot for this guy today or this woman or whoever, that's right. her, she owns that power. Or it could be, I just want to be hot for myself or I just feel like buying this, but I do not want to ever be in the business of telling another woman that she should buy my product so she can look sexy for yes. a man. Just, it, 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 it is always the red flag of, okay, this person doesn't understand what I'm trying to build. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because what I'm trying to build is all about the person in the mirror. I agree, I agree. Because anytime we do anything, we should always think, okay, I'm doing this for myself because I want to feel good about who I am. And that goes back to that question that, you know, women that reach 50, they're feeling invisible. And I've had a lot of women tell me that. And I sat there and I thought really hard about it. And I said this to somebody else. I was interviewing a prospective intern. And I said, this is the youngest you will ever be. You need to remember that. So instead of thinking of yourself as, oh my God, I'm so old. And some people in their 30s are going, oh, I'm so old. I'm going, really? You do not see how beautiful you are to somebody else on the outside. So, you know, beautiful skin. They'll think they didn't have any makeup on. I go, are you kidding? Look at your hair. Look at this and this and this. Men, I think, come across and they seem to be a little bit more confident in how they pre present themselves. But women, um, we're very hard on ourselves. So I was having this with Robin yeah. earlier. I think mm -hmm. that if we were to treat ourselves like we do our friends, would we go and say, oh my God, you know, I look horrible. I wouldn't go and say that to anybody. So I need to make sure I talk to myself the same way. Um, yeah. I was telling Robin it's about traveling light. And that means just uh, listening to the so monkey chat. Emotional baggage. Emotional baggage. That's right. That's right. You had asked earlier about where I see the beauty industry going in five oh, years. Yeah. And, you know, I think that we will continue to see this growth in independently owned brands, yes. you know, that are really values driven around, you know, what the packaging is like, you know, the ingredients, they yes. will be very stories driven, right? It'll be, I am from this particular place on the planet. We have this particular 
flower and it's great for the pimple and somebody will create a business around that. And it will be, you know, very much around people are gonna want to really understand who's selling them the product. Who are they supporting? I think people are, are, are increasingly becoming very mindful of where their money is being spent. I mean, you know, in June, you know, just kind of after, you know, the video of George Floyd's death came out, you know, the groundswell to support businesses that have been started by, you know, black owned entrepreneurs was unbelievable. And that was very much, again, stories driven around, you know, just inequality and access as a black owned founder. Um, and so it really told me that, you know, whether that's sustainable or not, people, you know, can be driven to care and increasingly, will be driven to care about things. Um, and so, you know, if I think about in the next five years, you know, beauty slash cosmetics industry, you know, you will see a lot more fragmentation. So it'll be less, you know, the massive Max or Estee Lauders of the world, or they will have to buy these companies to remain relevant because us smaller brands, as I said, we will lead with a story. We'll, be, we'll have a stronger ability to create a community communicate with that community and we can be a lot more nimble in terms of making decisions um, that that is important to our customer base than a massive organization can. So that, I that's agree. where I see change. I've done research on what that future looks like. So not only is it the packaging, it's about how that packaging should be disposed of so it limits the footprint of mm -hmm. pollution that we have. Um, limit, of course, any type of testing on animals. So it's oh yeah, oh yeah, getting oh, away yeah. from things that are harm harming others. Yeah, absolutely. Others can be the planet and animals. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, are you mindful at all of like which ingredients you do put in your products? Like, is there anything in particular that you try to avoid or um, like substitute with like a more natural ingredient? in terms of that uh, because it's like you know whatever we put on our skin um like it absorbs right like straight into the body like our liver doesn't detoxify it so um that's very important it's like the ingredients that are in our products that we use absolutely um i mean absolutely if you i mean we're very transparent with the ingredients that go into our products before we even launched we made sure that we got third-party certification from leaping bunny i don't know if you know Leaping Bunny, but they are a, a global organization that certifies cruelty-free supply chains. And so all of our suppliers that we work with are certified with Leaping Bunny. And as a result, our company is certified with Leaping Bunny. So all of our products are um, Leaping Bunny certified, which means none of them are tested with on animals at any point in time. Um, okay. You know, our, our this collection that we, we recently launched is entirely vegan. Um, our products are, are, yeah, they're entirely vegan. Um, they are paraben, paraben free and, and, you know, parabens are, well, not confirmed, but at least suspected and to be, you know, carcinogenic. And so we don't have any of those in our products. Our, our launch collection had no, that we're, we're entirely gluten free. So we have always been, you know, very cognizant of, of making sure that none of our products are, are toxic or have any kind of, we're moving with the way the world is. Um, and, right. and so that has been, you know, the beginning, from the beginning. And that's the good thing about being a young brand. I mean, we haven't even been around for two years. So we knew that when we started, we had to put our best foot forward from that 
perspective in terms of the ingredients that actually go inside our products. So we make sure our products are all cruelty free. Our new collection is 100% vegan and paraben free, you know? And when we think about like, if you think about our lip liner collection, for instance, we, we wanted it to be hydrating, but not glossy. And so what we did was we used natural shea butter in it, right? So as opposed to okay. using something synthetic, we, we tried to use something natural that people would use on their skin for dry skin so that when you wear it, your lips don't feel dry. Exactly. So it's definitely 100%. Um, something that I, I think about all the time, um, our eyeshadow palette, which we are about to launch, this one, you know, is 100% paper. Um, and the packaging that it comes in is, is not only paper, but it's also made with vegetable ink. Okay. So we try to work with suppliers who are on cutting edge of, of, of sustainability and how do you think about product packaging, that is fully recyclable. We're not 100% there yet. Our, our um, lipstick bottles are all made from plastic. So mm -hmm. we're not 100% there yet, but you know, definitely no toxic harmful materials in there. Mm -hmm. So the packaging, you know, there's always the outside package of the product, but then the, the way that the product is put in stuff. Uh, like whether it's the lipstick tube or a little pot that it's in there. One of the places that I am, um, it's a, you know, you pick up your food, it's fit, fit for life. And what they do is to encourage people to bring the packaging back. So it's mm -hmm. properly is mm -hmm. they give a 10, a $10 credit. Yeah. Bring it back. And I think that's really brilliant. And I'm always thinking about the products and how I end up putting stuff in the trash. Is there anything that um, a movement to also make something, either the packaging that's that the products are in, to be reusable or? Um... Yeah, it's a big. It's it's. I wouldn't say it's a big trend in the beauty industry, but it's certainly a trend. There are a number of brands who have reusable. Um, packaging for lipstick, our eyeshadow palette, you can just take out the palette, put another one right. in. And put one in. Yeah, but lipsticks, there, there are a number of brands who are moving in that direction. You know, it's a lot of, some brands use metal, um, but those are luxury brands because it's way more expensive to, to use metal than it is to use plastic. Um, some are working around paper. I think it's, you know, it's, it's one moving in the right direction for what's good for our universe. It's another one for, you know, what kind of cost you can pass on to your customer. You know, I remember when we were looking at our, our bullet lipsticks that are coming out, I wanted to use metal and the price was three times. Oh, wow. So, you know, the customer's not going to pay you that much more. Um, so it's, you know, so we ended up choosing something, you know, that was not harmful, um, but it probably wasn't the most eco-friendly option, which was why we made sure that what was in the, the, the lipstick is as eco-friendly as possible. And so, the one of, it. so one of the things I was also wondering is, you know, are, are people using products, and I could not find this, um, to put their, their brand in that would be like, um, like a coconut material instead of plastic or being made out of um, coconut fibers. I've seen some, some products that are out there. It was more in the space of like, instead of plastic forks, they were making it out of um, coconut or um, 
cane or things like that. And they were pressing the materials. I saw this on a Facebook video in, and it was in India and pressing it so that they became things that people could actually consume. Some of them, you could consume it. It was uh, not harmful to the body. So you're not throwing it in the trash. And if it wasn't consumable, it was actually something that would be biodegradable and it would actually go right back into the this. Something so, so let me let me let me let me interrupt you because let me a little bit of information about you know we were talking about disposable or disposables edible. and edibles etc and I think you know what people don't understand is that so I was going to show you the bottle of my lipstick and oh. to let you know that it took 12 to 16 weeks of stability testing to make sure that the lipstick could stay in the bottle and maintain its quality and mm -hmm. stability over time. Because if you think about it, if you buy a lipstick, you're not gonna wear it all in a week. So no. it's not like bread, right? You're gonna, mm -hmm. most lipsticks, you know, you wanna keep for at least 12 months. Some you can keep for 24 months, right? Many of them will say on the packet how long, once it's open, you can use it. Right. Many of the lipsticks are airtight packaging. So, and, and they're made of chemicals, let's be clear, mm -hmm. right? They're clean, non-toxic, but they're made of chemicals. So when you are putting together chemicals that are going on your face, you can't just put them on some random coconut stick. You have to make sure that the thing you are putting it in can withstand being in your purse, being in heat, being in cold, you know, being kept somewhere in a drawer for a year and you bringing it out and using it and it's still shelf stable. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when people are like, well, why can't you just do this? I'm like, okay, you don't really understand the way the, way the product itself um, has to be tested so severely to make sure that it is efficacious for you and that it doesn't end up causing you to have a rash. So I think that, I think that over time, one of the innovations that I had been very excited to look about this year, but you know, as we all know, coronavirus has prevented a lot of things. But I was very excited this summer to to go to Europe to um, look at some innovations in paper. Where, nice. Um, yeah, I was very excited about it to find out what kind of sealants they used inside to to put the lipstick in. Um, but obviously, all of those. Um, you know, conferences got canceled. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe next year, um, you know, we will, we will get to it. And, you know, there's some companies that have used um, paper, but in a dish, like how your eyeshadow is for lipstick. But the problem is a lot of customers don't want to use their finger or to get a whole brush to put that on their lips. They mm -hmm. just want to apply mm -hmm. their lipstick. So this is what I'm saying around you know, innovation is great, but it's got to meet the customer need. And it's, you know, it's got to, it's got to be efficacious and not just the product, but how you use it. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. And I know that's true because I don't like having it on my finger and I was sitting there thinking, well, how could it be done so that it's all of the packaging could be either totally biodegradable or, and it's not going into landfills. And I've seen things done with everything from not using toothpaste tubes and putting them in capsules and then mm -hmm. you know, using things that way. And I went, oh, that's brilliant. 
but you can't always do that with makeup. I know that I you know, can use brushes and that helps and you can put lipstick into pots and that helps. But I was thinking of, again, when I was able to take these products back to the restaurant, the recyclable containers, they're not recycling them to put more food into them, but they're just making sure that they get disposed of in a responsible way. And I went, you know, that goes a long way for me because of, of that one particular niche opportunity to impact the environment in a more positive way. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I'm gonna flip it over one more time over here because we've been focusing on that future of, but I wanna ask you, do you think that when I go in Target, <clears throat> I am amazed at how much uh, products are out there for men now. And I just did not know that men's skincare was that big of a deal. You know, do you have thoughts on that? Um, you know, I, well, first of all, I don't really shop for men. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, my husband is like one of the least um, interested or involved in his, you know, personal care from that perspective. Right. Um, I think that the people have built products for men because they haven't really challenged the notion that, you know, 85% of the purchases within the home are actually made by women. Right. Because if you think about it, you know, people have just always seen that the, the money comes from the man, the money comes from the man. So let's build a bunch of markets and products around the man. But, you know, I, I'm the one that chooses the brand of deodorant in our house, the brand of soap in our house, you know, the brand of laundry detergent, all those things. So I think that that notion, though, is changing over time. Um, you're starting to see so many different female founded companies that are addressing needs very specifically for women, very specifically. Mm -hmm. So I think that... Um, you know, it's a new day. It's a new day. And um, I don't know what kind of products are being made for men, but, you know, a lot more products exist for women. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, um, how can people find you and Bossy Cosmetics? Yeah, because I mean, we're pretty, <laughs> we're pretty easy to find. Our website is bossybeauty.com. Um, what social channels? Um, so we're on Instagram. Our Insta link is at Bossy Lipstick. Okay. Um, Twitter, we're on Twitter. Um, and that's at Bossy Beauty Inc. Um, and those are probably the two that we're most active on, Instagram and Twitter. What do you think the future of skincare and beauty products will look like five years from now? So we asked people on the street this question, and this is what they said. One, being more cruelty-free. We're already seeing a lot of major companies, such as CoverGirl, um, that has transferred to cruelty-free, which is amazing. It took them a while, but so seeing that example, I think a lot of other companies have really started to get on the bandwagon of being cruelty-free because they realize that's what their consumers are starting to really care about. Also, I think in the future, slowly, there will be more products that are ethically conscious in their ingredients. Um, you know, so that means like extracting ingredients that won't do more damage 
for the environment and also making sure that you're getting these ingredients in a good practice that doesn't um, exploit the workers that are getting these products from other countries because that's a big issue even in the food industry and I think people are slowly paying attention to that more um, the consumers are and so also companies you know they don't want to look bad um, having that on them and so I think they'll do that as well. I can only see the future filled with many uh, good advancements leading to healthier skin. They're always coming out with new products and methods of skincare so I'm not sure exactly what will happen but hopefully it will be good. So what was really interesting that in the forecast, when I was looking this up, Robin, mm -hmm. in 2019, the U.S. sales totaled $39 billion, billion wow. for mass beauty uh, products that were in store purchases and mass online products was $14 billion. That's a lot of money being spent on yes. what we look like. So what do the trends look like? So this I found super interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, space travel, we've been talking about it for a long time, but it's actually becoming a reality. We have had civilians be able to go in space and people are beginning to look to the stars. So what, you know, think about it. Like, what do the astronauts use for skincare up there when they're in the stars? Yeah, I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the things that I found that consumers are increasingly interested in space as that new frontier for travel mm -hmm. and inspiration. And now there's technologies that are coming out with how to take beauty products out into space and to draw that innovation and ideas from those space conditions. Because, you know, what are those environments like either inside of the, you know, the the vehicle that they travel in, mm -hmm. what would it be like to be stationed on another planet where you can't walk around except inside of an enclosed, you know, spacesuit? So yeah. that's actually something that people are thinking about. And also, how would they grow the ingredients if it's plant-based ingredients, sure. you know, inside at another, inside some type of a, a obviously a air-conditioned um, atmosphere for, for plants and, you know, it's controlled is what I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. but it's microgravity. How would the plants grow? So that's really what they're beginning to look at. Okay. Men's beauty products, and you heard that right, they're calling them beauty products. Yes. I went into Target and that's what they actually have on the wall. It says men's beauty products. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it when you think about it, what else? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was super interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, men are not limiting themselves to just that. Mm -hmm. They consider beard grooming, right? Yeah, of course. Does your dad have, what is your dad's skincare? Um, we talked about this once. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. He's like the most simple, straightforward type of skincare. He literally will, he told me he will use like the baby shampoo because when he, he says when the other stuff gets in his eyes it stings his eyes and that's why he I'm like so close your eyes like it's just like the most straightforward like like just simple stuff like it's nothing special at all yeah well you know he's using that as his skincare right so anyway there's men grooming products that, for beards and beards are big deals now mm -hmm. manufacturers are prioritizing new products so and they're really taking this as an aggressive marketing and a subscription-based um, way to reach more men. 
um, men do care about, you know, bags under their eyes and, yeah. and, you know, what their skin looks like. So they are taking better care of themselves, which is really nice to hear. I know that Ashley, one of our new interns, said that she also has encouraged her boyfriend to use products. So, oh, okay. And, yeah, and one of our other interns, Donnie, he uses uh -huh. products also. Okay. Yeah. So it's definitely yeah, it's a trend. Mm -hmm. Now, did you know about Gillette? This was an interesting case study. Hmm. I didn't hear about, um, was it a recent case study that was done or? Yeah, it was in 2019. Okay. So they have long positioned themselves as a brand that understands and empowers men. And their ad was the best a man can be. Okay. So, no, oh, no, sorry. The best a man can get. Like that's it. Right. Using Gillette products. Okay. However, um, the brand faced a widespread backlash in 2019. And with it became an, another campaign called We Believe. Mm -hmm. And it was an ad called out um, where it was coming against negative behaviors and associated with toxic masculinity. Huh. So it was, is this the bat? Is this the best a man can get? Because surely there's better. And so yeah. that's why there was this big, big campaign around it. And then Gillette responded to it uh -huh. in a positive way. But who remembers that a year later? Now it's COVID and it provides, COVID has proven to be a great unifier and it's pulled uh, together, helping men to shift their attitudes around the value of preserving our resources for the future. And they care more about what's going into the products and you know being able to be a responsible person that's using um, beauty products, we'll call it. Mm -hmm. The global survey conducted in 11 countries revealed that more than half, 54% of men between the ages of 18 and 15 care about sustainability more than ever. The ages of 18 and 50. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Care more. Yeah. I would imagine so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it does make more sense mm -hmm. because when you think about the products, uh, the ingredients that go into your products, just like what you were saying, yeah. you really do need to think about how that's impacting your body. But it's also are we mining our, our you know, earth for these products? Are we creating synthetic things that goes into our water system? It goes into our landfill? Yeah. It's more to think about. That's unfortunate. So artificial intelligence and beauty products. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, tell me about that. Okay, so there has been a, if anybody's gone to a dermatologist or a cosmetic surgeon's office, uh -huh. you may have had your skin analyzed by a high-tech Vieza, no, Vieza, yeah, that's it, um, imaging system, which rotates around the patient's face to capture photos and detect UV damage. Okay, I've definitely seen that and heard of it. Yeah, it's yeah. like a little halo around you. Uh -huh. But it's also looking at wrinkles, mm -hmm. pore size, redness of the skin, the texture, and even more. And to me, that is really, really innovative. Yes, absolutely. They have a new wrinkle algorithm that huh. significantly, significantly improves the detection and measurement of fine lines and wrinkles and it's the device it's the device's first ever use of our artificial intelligence so it's wow. really changing how we can um, see what we're doing with our skin and mm -hmm. be more proactive in the skincare process okay and preventing um, you know any damage right mm -hmm. so okay yeah wow. because you can actually go in there and and you know begin to make sure that oops I need to make sure I'm using a higher SPF. 
right? Yeah. Or you can go in and you can uh, use different products that can improve either redness or you know wrinkles, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, this provides professionals and patients alike um, with the help that was really needed instead of using fillers and neuromodulators um, that were used previously, and now gives patients the parameters to be able to take better care of their scalp, their skin, um, and different treatment regime regimens. Absolutely. Yeah. Now the sure. last section that I looked at for the future of uh-huh. was natural and organic products, which represents 30% of the product market. Wow. That's too bad. It's only, you know, that small of a percentage of the products that, that are, you know, more natural or organic. I think it's going to increase, honestly. Yeah. Because there's a real movement for that. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of like I, I was looking at some packaging for um, toothpaste mm-hmm. and toothpaste, even though it's for hygiene and obviously dental care, it's yes. also used as a beauty product to have whiter teeth. Right. Yeah. So the packaging that um, toothpaste comes in is really hard to um, break down and and get rid of in our environment. So there's been a movement to make them into um, little capsules that we put in our mouth and we brush our teeth and then that's it. So now you don't have that same big tube. You have a little container, a little metal container that can be recycled. Oh, okay. So they're focusing more on uh, creating like biodegradable, like packaging and oh, the packaging. Yes. Oh, okay. You're talking more about the ingredients in the products or all of these good questions. Mm -hmm. So yes, the movement will be to create biodegradable packaging. You're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. That is part of the future. Um, The product that I was talking about with the um, the toothpaste gel. Um, we'll call them capsules, uh-huh. um, that it's actually the capsules that are the things that people are using in their mouth. The package is a metal container and I saw it on the Target shelf. Oh, huh, okay. So next That's time good. you go to look for toothpaste, go and check out these little, it's, it's over there in the toothpaste area and they only have just a few. So they're kind of hidden away. They're not the big long toothpaste mm-hmm. boxes. But you know, think about that when you're actually in there. Interesting. Yeah. Um, because you'll see that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. huh. There's also a rise of interest in natural and organic ingredients, mm-hmm. um, such as what we've seen with cannabis. And so cannabis oh. is really interesting. It's you yeah. know, in so many things. It's used to treat illness, it's used to treat baldness or loss of hair, Mm -hmm. as well as being able to also uh, use it as a base in cosmetics. And legal cannabis sales could, can possibly reach up to 41 billion by 2025. Wow. That's a big sales. Yeah, that is right. So hemp derived CBD market um, actually comprises 6 billion of that total 41 billion. And according to Nielsen data, this is um, really big business because now mm-hmm. the beauty industry could capture some of that CBD space mm-hmm. and it could displace what would be conventional cosmetic and acne skin medication ingredients. Wow. So healing powers of pot on your skin. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I guess it is a natural. The oil. oil so yeah. 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 The oil of it. Interesting. Well, anyway, that's the end of our show. And we want to say thank you to all of our listeners and also thank you to our viewers that watch us. Mm -hmm. Um, We went straight through this time. 
This is pretty we good. Did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And thank sure, you also so. to our guest, um, Aisha Tu Dozy, who's with uh, Bossy Cosmetics. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios.